I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999. Podcast like it. You want a podcast like it? Podcast like it's 1999. Podcast like it's 1999. Uh, I am your host, Phyllis Gove, and it is it is just me for this uh, for this mini series on uh, on Felicity because, uh, quite frankly, Kenny doesn't really give a shit about Felicity, and that's fine. Um, but I do, damn it! And we're going to do a bunch of episodes about it, uh, about her, about the show, um, and who better to start this series than Emily Vanderwerf? Uh, the you know the, the the guests we've had on most our favorite guest probably something you know I don't I don't like to show favorites but like let's be real um, and yeah so I, I I guess my first question to you Emily because you, you mentioned that you liked this show in college I believe or around college uh, this show so I'm a year younger than Felicity okay. so I trail behind her so I was in my senior year of high school when this day. Viewed. Mm-hmm. I'm class of 99. So um, I saw the first few. Um, yeah, I saw the first few when I was, uh, uh, you know, in high school. And like, I followed it not religiously, but I watched enough of it. I know I've seen both of the episodes that we watched today. Um, okay. And I reading some of the others, I recognized like plot lines and devices. And then there were somewhere I was just like, Oh, I've never seen this. Like, I know I never saw the ones where, um, uh, Julie, uh, is raped, which are yeah, like, yeah, like yeah, yeah. just reading the descriptions sound like the worst of nineties issue television. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, here's, here's what, um, 
Yes. Here's what, just to give our, our listeners and, and the, you know, the Felicity fans that perhaps are listening to this, uh, the general way that, uh, that we're going to do today's episode, uh, is going to be a little bit different than our other ones, but we're going to, we're going to talk about the pilot. Uh, I'm going to yada yada through nine episodes of television of Felicity. And then we're going to jump into episode 11, which was the first one that aired in 1999. Um, and, and, and in those yada yadas, are the two-part rape episode of which you are speaking of. Yes. Um, it is, you know, eh, yeah, I mean, I can't disagree with you. It, it, it certainly is 90s, um, you know, after school specialty kind of, but I also need to give the show a little bit of credit for handling it relatively deftly considering the time and the circumstances. A lot of shows wouldn't have even gone there. Yeah. So yeah, this, yeah, you know that the show should should get some credit for going to a place that a lot of shows probably wouldn't have had the, you know, the the the, the confidence to do. But it should also be said that it's a, a Julie storyline, which are not always the best storylines. So there's yeah. that. Um, I'm one of the people who who tuned out in season two, not because. She cut I, her hair? <laughs> not because she cut her hair, but because I went I went to college. Um, right. I was living my own, you know, my own uh, following Ben to college storyline. Um, not literally, but, uh, when I, when I, I was talking about this on Twitter, but when I went to college, I was constantly referring to myself as Felicitad and my parents say there were no signs of my transness. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, so Felicity came out in my first year of university. So uh, it, it started in the fall of 1998. And uh, that was my first semester of university. And I, I, I watched this show pretty religiously with, uh, with past and future guest Jan Katask, who will be coming on for an episode of this at, at some point as well. But uh, it, it kind of hit a chord because I didn't go away to college. Mm-hmm. So I went to I went to university in Toronto, where I'm from, uh, and I lived at home. In fact, for the first year of my of my university experience, and then ultimately moved out shortly thereafter. But but this show kind of scratched an itch for me of going away to college. Do you know what I mean? Like I I just didn't have that experience. Yeah. So it kind of it 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 I don't know. I mean that's part of what one of the reasons why I love the show. Um. I don't know. I, it's a, just a really sweet show, Emily. Is can yeah. it just be a sweet show? No, it's fine. It's fine. Like I'm not. I know. I know. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna begrudge it anything. I I haven't seen a lot of it. I know a lot of people love it very much. I know it is just very strangely um, responsible for J.J. Abrams' takeover of pop culture. Um, there's a lot of interesting stuff about this show. I don't know that I would want to do a podcast where I talk about 15 to 16 episodes of Felicity, but That's where you and I differ. Yeah, exactly. More, more <laughs> the only way we differ. You. Yeah. The only way we differ, uh, more power to you. And I was thinking about, um, I know how much you two love blank check. Sorry. My cat I is like, I do. adjusting my camera for me. I loved it. Okay. How bad do you feel that you didn't grow up in London, Ontario? So you could do your own version <laughs> of the from London bit that yeah. was like still yeah. your own thing, you know? It's true. It's true. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm co-writing a pilot right now with a friend and also uh, someone from London, Ontario. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, there so, you yeah. go. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, 
I don't know. I, I think that this show, just to speak kind of broadly about it for for a moment, I, I as I was watching it again, I I really tried to hone in on why I still love the show. It's one thing to have loved it in the '90s, and it's another thing for it still to strike a chord today. And I think there's there are a whole bunch of reasons for it, and and, and we'll get into its strengths and its and its weaknesses, but. But I think part of it is that I'm kind of a sucker for for earnest things. What? Uh, I know, I know, shocking to you. Uh, so it's this this show has the the best of intentions, and it's just a show that really sort of um, wants to be a a little bit nostalgic of the of the college experience, and is looking at it definitely through rose colored glasses. Um, it's got kind of almost a Cameron Crowe vibe of that, like of things were great when we were younger <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I also just really believe that it's probably my favorite love triangle that I've seen executed on television. Um, there are will they won't they's that I like more perhaps, you know, in terms of like two people, but I think this show does the love triangle best, or at least in my opinion, of what I hope for a love triangle to be, which is balanced. Right. <laughs> like generally speaking, uh, yes, there are Team Ben and yes, there are Team Noel, and I am very much in the Noel camp. But <laughs> unsurprising, <laughs> yeah. But I think that uh, those three actors do such a great job and the writing really strengthens all of it that it, it really is a very strong triangle. Um, so strong. In fact, that some might argue that it's the reason the show could even go on for four years really was based on people caring about various permutations of those, of those three people. Um, what do you think works about it? And what do you think might not work about it? About the show or the, or the love triangle? Uh, Both. Okay. Um, I like the love triangle. I think the reason it doesn't work for me is as strongly as it does for you. I think it's a fine love triangle. I don't think it's a bad one. Mm-hmm. Um, I never quite bought Ben as a, a, a love interest for her in the way I bought Noel. Now, this is 18-year-old me, 17-year-old uh-huh. me, projecting a lot of my own shit onto the show. Like, sure. Um, you know, if we're, if we're talking about um, – both the kind of 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 man, quote unquote, I thought I was going to grow up to be, and the kind of like guy that I, you know, might have nursed a crush on. Like yeah. Noel is both of those things at once. <laughs> so he kind of had a leg up sure. uh, over Ben. Like I knew I was never going to be Ben, and also like, uh, you know, um, I wasn't probably going to. My God, I wasn't probably going to have like a, a, a crush on him. So um, obviously stranger things have happened. Um, but yeah, I, I never quite bought Ben and he was clearly like the end game. I believe she ends up with him, right? Uh, I mean, it depends on which uh, which timeline you'd like to. This uh, is go true. <laughs> this is true. There's there's timeline nonsense. Uh, one of my favorite things about this show. But. <laughs> uh, yeah, it goes full full JJ uh, Abrams at the end there. But yeah. I, I yes, I mean, I think I think you you kind of have to be uh, deluding yourself a little bit if you don't think she ends up with Ben. Yeah, I mean, he, he's the show, and 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 you know, he's the impetus, the catalyst, you know, the the inciting incident. He's all the things that sort of set the show in motion so for her not to end up with him i think would have been kind of insane Mm -hmm. um even if i do think that 
Ben's character kind of goes goes through some stuff by the end that you're kind of like, really, this is the guy she. All right, I um, uh, yeah. I would I would say I think part of why I never quite bought him is also like just story logic. The story logic of this show is Felicity goes to New York for one reason. Like it's expressed in the pilot. She goes to New York for one reason. And that reason is taken away from her. And she realizes she went to New York for herself. So like if she just ends up with Ben, then it's kind of a rejection of the show's premise. Like obviously Ben can change. She can change. Like they can grow together and become more like each other. But on just a fundamental level, kind of the story gravity of the story is taking her to someone she meets in New York in a yeah. way that I feel like they never quite sold with Ben. Um, obviously, going to college with Ben is what makes her, you know, like yeah. realize that she can be with Ben. But uh, that what going to college with Ben is what makes her the kind of woman that Ben would want to be with. But yeah, I just I never the story gravity of it was never as strong for me as the story gravity of Noel or like, I don't know, some random, random person uh, she ends up with. Yeah. I, I here's a question for Todd you. Mulcahy. Tom, Tom Mulcahy. Uh, here, here's a question for you. I, and, and, and it does feel a little bit like um, there's a push and pull going on. And I would, I would, I would sort of put a lot of television shows into this, into this uh, basket of shows that, that want it's female characters, if you have a female protagonist, to have the independence and the wherewithal and the, and sort of the, the confidence to not need a man by the end of the television show. And yet there's this kowtowing to a fan base on top of it where they can't fully do that. The two shows that come to mind are this one. Mm-hmm. And Sex and the City comes to mind as well. Mm-hmm. Sex and the City feels like a show that that at the end of that series, I kind of wanted all of the women paired off except for Carrie. <laughs> yeah. Like on some level, the the show was about her perpetual singledom, or or at right. least sort of the the her struggling with that. And and at some point, we are going to talk about the second season of uh, Sex and the City on this podcast as well, since that all aired in 1999 as well. But um. I, I I sort of I guess I pose I'm I'm kind of tossing this to you because I'm curious as to what you think about how how do you kind of how do you get the best of both worlds is it possible to even have the best of both worlds? Um, so one of the shows that I think ended really well in terms of she doesn't choose either of the two guys in the love triangle is uh, my fellow class of '99 member Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Of course, uh, of course, yeah. Yeah, you know, you're the same age as Felicity. I'm the same age as Buffy, and I will take my girl in a fight any day. <laughs> um, but let let me ask you this: which one's crazier? Oh, 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 Felicity! Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. You don't know what she's gonna do. <laughs> yeah, she's picking a fight with Buffy. Oh my god, what yeah, a bad yeah. idea! What a terrible idea. Um, yeah. Uh, the uh, uh, the thing about the 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 ending where neither guy is right is like that really requires a dramatic underpinning that I think Felicity at its best didn't have. I think the first half of season one is them trying to be a drama about going to college, a coming of age drama. It doesn't work. You can't do a coming of age drama about college in the same way you can about high school, at least in TV, because I think people's college experiences are so wildly divergent. Like my college experience is nothing like this show. Like, and I think that's part of why I stopped watching it when I went to college because it didn't reflect what college was like for me. So, um, yeah, I think that, uh, the, 
the underlying needs of a comedy often require a happy romantic ending. You can do the Felicity chooses herself ending. You can do the Carrie Bradshaw chooses herself ending, but you really have to earn it in a way where a lot of shows are like, you know what? I'm just going to give in. I'm just going to lean into happy ending the fans want. And like the fans always want the happy ending as someone who's writing a podcast as a romantic comedy. Like I know that that's the obligation of the show. The end of the show is they're together. Like that's like what we're doing. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that that's, I mean, that's the right answer, and it's, it certainly feels like the one that, that people have gone with more times than not. It mm-hmm. does feel a little bit like Felicity in the end, and, and we are going to have uh, Joanna Robinson actually come on to do a final episode when we're done this entire run of Felicity to talk about how the show ended, to talk about sort of a lot of its, you know, perhaps failures as it moved forward through seasons three and four, um, you know, and, and, and it tries to have its cake and eat it too with this time travely sliding doors esque kind of ending to try to give everyone what they want. Um, and in some ways I kind of hand it to them for attempting such a, such a crazy thing, but it does feel outside the realm of this television show specifically, you know, the supernatural of which there had been none up until this point. Now, uh, I know you weren't in the room anymore on Sleepy Hollow season four, but do you Correct. think you ever had a conversation about like the characters there entering an alternate universe where they were starting in a coming of age drama set in the college? <laughs> <laughs> oh God. If I was in the room, there would have been that conversation. I, you better believe it. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I do wonder whether or not, I mean, so rumor has it, and again, we'll get we'll get into all of this with with Joanna when when the time comes. But it feels like now is as good a time as any to kind of talk about it on a, on a broad level. But basically, the WB said we want fifteen episodes. They did fifteen episodes. They came to a natural conclusion of the television show, and then Warner Brothers said, no, 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 we want like five or six more. So they kind of pulled these these this time travel storyline, you know, kind of out of nowhere, um, which is understandable. You know, if, if you've come to a natural conclusion, you're essentially going to do basically a movie, for lack of a better way of putting it, and that's sort of what they did. Uh, but it's it, it, you know, it's interesting. It was a swing. It is what it is. Uh, I'm going to give a synopsis real quick on Felicity, just in terms of what this show is about. Mm-hmm. Uh, it all starts the moment shy, beautiful Felicity Porter asks Ben Covington to sign her high school yearbook. This is what it says in Google, guys. Uh, it's graduation day. He's gorgeous. And she's had a four-year crush on him. Even though the two have never spoken, what he writes is so insightful, so perfect, it persuades Felicity to change the course of her future. A future defined by medical school and the dreams of her parents. She serendipitously, uh, serendipitously, sorry, uh, follows Ben to YN. Sorry, UNY, the fictional University of New York, because NYU would not give them the rights. Uh, and it's quickly swept into a romantic triangle that brings uh, both discovery and heartache. Felicity moved to New York to find romance, but ends up finding herself. I love, if you guys could see right now what is on my screen, it is a truly beautiful thing. It is Emily and her cat. It's a beautiful thing. Um, Felicity premiered on September 29th, 1998, and it ended its run on May 22nd, 2002. Uh, and season one has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, like, uh, I yes, remember go ahead. it was by far the best reviewed show that fall. Yeah. Like 100% is probably not quite accurate if we could see yeah, all the obviously. reviews yeah, yeah. from then. Uh, sure. Because there was a lot of talking about how she was kind of a 
unstable protagonist, which I'm sure we'll get into. But like, there were you thought people, she was unstable, Emily. There were people who were like, uh, "She's a stalker. Why are we yep. like enjoying this?" And like, I don't, I don't think that's entirely fair to the show or to the character or to like. Mm-hmm womanhood in general but like i like there were bad reviews of the show that that sort of nodded at that thing but yeah absolutely were as a pilot this is a a, a good pilot back in those days you pretty much only got the pilot and i could see why it was the favorite of everybody that year because i think the other options were like i don't know jesse um (laughs) (laughs) i mean i think also um so I want, I, I'm going to go on record and say, I actually think that season one of the show is one of my favorite seasons of television. Huh? I'm not going to sit here and say that the show holds up and as it moves forward, it, it makes some steps forward. It makes some steps backwards. It does a bunch of stuff that I think are really fun. I think the Twilight Zone episode in particular is a really fun sort of divergent thing that they do. Um, it, it's, it's, the show takes some swings and I respect that. Obviously, the biggest one being her cutting her hair. We'll talk all about the haircut heard around the world, it seems, uh, and and cratered the show's ratings for, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it. Um, it. It's, but I think this season is a really, really good season of television. It ends on a really good cliffhanger. I remember everyone that summer talking about who's she going to pick. No one knew. There were people that were like trying to rewind uh, the videotape in the cab at the end to see if they could read her lips, as though. They didn't know who she picked when they wrote it. So there was, anyway, it doesn't matter. But point is, uh, I think it's a really solid season of television. Um, but, you know, it, it, it makes some missteps along the way. But I'm going to read a couple snippets of some reviews that I think highlight some of its strengths. Uh, Variety said, it's all pretty sudsy stuff, but the introspective felicity carries massive appeal. Nonetheless, an emotive tour de force. The LA Times said that this coming-of-age hour about an anxiety-ridden college freshman and her pals is among the most gratifying and promising new series of the fall season. And then the New York Times back then said, uh, though it is... Pl- Though it has plenty of winning qualities, Felicity also has an earnestness that sets it apart from the tongue-in-cheek Buffy and from Dawson's Creek. Um, then, so the New York Times did a piece on Felicity back in 2018 when they were talking about uh, binge watches and what have you. And they had a little snippet that I'm going to read here where they say, one of the most striking, if in hindsight, unsurprising qualities of the pilot episode is how much it looks like a movie, a great little 45-minute film about breaking away and taking a chance. Mm-hmm. It's also elegantly done that it makes the show's nutty premise seem not only credible, but emotionally logical. Speedman is perfect as the object of Felicity's affection, displaying easy, breezy charisma, and also the self-awareness and complexity of the gives the character its depth. Scott Foley is immediately charming as Noel, the nice guy resident assistant uh, who completes the show's romantic triangle. Triangle. Many shows struggle to find their voice in the first season, but this series' aesthetics are firmly in place from the jump. Evocative slow-motion photography, thoughtful voiceover, silhouetted compositions, and well-curated music. Peter Gabriel's In Your Eyes is so well used you almost forget it was in Say Anything. So, I think to, to sort of talk a little bit about the pilot episode and how this was a different time, right? So television pilots were made differently. Uh, the WB in particular made pilots differently. They did a lot of presentations back then. And in fact, this show had a 30-minute presentation that they shot, which is the majority of the pilot. But then they had to obviously fill it out to get it to 43 minutes. So there were a bunch of reshoots and things that they did to kind of tweak it. Personally speaking, the idea of writing a half hour pilot presentation or shooting a half hour of this thing before shooting a real pilot feels like a very strange stutter step that I don't completely understand. Yeah. Um, 
I'm assuming again, it was just a way of making sure they didn't make any horrendous mistakes by yeah. putting things to pilot that they shouldn't, I guess. Yeah. It's I'm weird. Sure, I'm sure this show was a bit of a risk. Uh, the WB's audience at that time sure. was uh, very, um, was very teen friendly. And this is not tech. This is a show about people in college, which is a, a lot of teen shows go to college to die. Basically um, <laughs> my own, my own fellow class of 99 member, Buffy, the vampire slayer, uh, her college year. I, I, I like that season, but it sure. definitely is a season where they struggled to find stories to tell about her in college. And then finally they just gave up, which was great. Great idea. <laughs> but uh, the, I mean, this show, this show struggled with that. That's where yeah. alias comes from. It comes yeah. from JJ being like, how do I make her a spy? Yeah, exactly. And, um, and that, you know, that's the J.J. Abrams becomes king of the world, like, is because he got frustrated trying to write stories about Felicity, Ben, and Noel. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> sure. Uh, I think that uh, one of the the things about making a presentation is often, like, then it would come in and, like, you can just see this coming in and them being like, whoa, this is gorgeous. This is just really well done. Yeah. And, like, then it becomes a big hit for them. Whereas if yeah. they had tried to do a full pilot, you know, with a 30 minute presentation, you can really lavish attention on everything and that's then you fill it in later on. Um, I, I, that's I, actually I, a really, that's a very astute. Uh, I mean, obviously it's an astute observation coming from you, but I'll say this. I do think that your point about being able to make a really high quality 30 minutes mm-hmm. and that this is great, right? Now give us the amount of money to make sure that it matches the additional 13 or 15 minutes that we need to get it where it needs to go. Um, that's interesting. That, that's, that yeah. is a, that's a really interesting way of looking at it. Um, so so the, the, network, the network does save money that way, but then sometimes in the end, they probably end up spending more than they thought they would. You know, when they green, like you think about this script on the page and like, you have to be like, right. it's so casting dependent. Like if you don't find Carrie Russell, Felicity can seem super unrelatable. Because like everything she does is wild, just buck wild. Like, <laughs> Carrie Russell makes it seem totally logical. And like Scott Speedman, I don't think he's the best actor, but he's very handsome and like so totally logical. Um, and yeah, I, I think that I think that's one of the things about the show. The parents are such terrible people. You don't want to be around them anymore. Totally logical. Like it was so casting dependent. I think that that was another way doing a presentation probably ended up being a smart smart thing you know it's it's funny you say that because it, it it you hear it all the time on commentaries in reviews in interviews about how the whole thing hinged upon casting x right mm-hmm. like this role was everything if this doesn't click we're fucked and you can point at certain shows where that is absolutely the case and this is one of them you know we we've been texting and laughing about how pretty insane felicity is as a character (laughs) (laughs) my hero (laughs) and she makes it palatable she makes it work and and i don't i don't just say that because i love the show but i really do think that it's all in the execution it's all in this autumnal warm inviting world that they've created these browns and these yellows and and everyone's wearing a warm sweater and everyone just looks so cozy and comfy all the time that that the show just welcomes you in and then you've got this really 
tremendous actress who has found a way into a character that is decidedly uh perhaps unhinged on some level uh, on another level perhaps just just immature and and spontaneous and doing things because she's uh at a time in her life when she feels like she can mm-hmm. um all of this being said uh you know Carrie Russell does this show and she's great in it and then she kind of disappears you know and and whether that was a choice or not I I don't know but you know she does things here or there but kind of doesn't really do a lot. She's a waitress. Um, and you know, and then she comes out with, she's in, she's in mission impossible three where she's great. Uh, and it was the first time that I was like, wait a second, like Felicity can hold a gun. Like this, this this was just not something that I really had ever sort of associated with Carrie Russell. And she's got a tremendous, great scene. And she dies in mission impossible three spoiler at the top of that movie. And that opens the door to the Americans. And now we all look at Carrie Russell and we're just like, how, how have we not thought that Carrie Russell was, you know, one of our best actors since, you know, 1999. Right. Yeah. It's just interesting. She was one of those movie stars they tried to make happen. Yeah. And it just never quite took off. I think that she's too, there's something, there's something very relatable about her on the surface and something deeply unrelatable about her at her core. And I think that was the genius of casting her in the Americans is, She looks like all American mom on the surface, but there's something that keeps you at arm's length from her. And like, she utilized that within herself to sheer, like just sheer perfection. Um, uh, Having covered that show a lot, I've met Carrie Russell a number of times. She's such a lovely human. Uh, Jealous, very jealous. A a really nice person. And like, is just one of the most genuine folks you'll ever meet. Uh, The first time I talked to her, she told me about what her kids wore for Halloween. Like it was just, you know, just a really lovely time, lovely chat, which you don't get with all famous people. Um, But I do think when you put a camera on her, there's something about her that doesn't quite connect. And both Felicity and the Americans have used that. And a lot of other shows have been like, well, she's like a romantic comedy lead, right? And uh, that never quite works. I I fully agree with you. I I think that, you know, in the Americans in particular, uh, (laughs) I I just love it periodically. Emily just picks up a cat and throws it out of frame, which I think is fantastic. She wants um, to be near me always. It's so <laughs> nice. I'm, you know, I, I hate to misgender myself, but I am Ben. She's Felicity. And she <laughs> follows me around the apartment. Um, yeah. So I think that in the Americans in particular, they really weaponize that mm-hmm. duality that exists and, and, and her forehead vein just mm-hmm. perfectly accentuated in the Americans. Um, so in, in the pilot of Felicity, I, you know, Again, as I was trying to think about what it is that I that I love about the show, I, I do think the fact that Felicity wears her heart on her sleeve is something that a lot of shows don't necessarily have. I don't know if courage is the right word, but but there's something about it that that can make a character seem. I mean, maybe pathetic could be a word for it. There's something about that sort of that open heartedness of her character that I actually find quite endearing, but I understand that some people might not. Um, you know, I, I, I also will say too, I'm, and I think I, I, I texted this to you, Emily, but I, I don't love when the names of characters have literal meanings, but the idea that Felicity means intense happiness and an ability to express one's thoughts and Porter as a person who moves luggage from one place to another is nice. It's a nice thing. 
Emily's not not a fan. Bad. Oh, <laughs> I wish you hadn't told me that. <laughs> really? You don't like stuff like that? I don't like it. I don't mind, like, sometimes it's fine. Um, I, I'm not going to claim that I've never done this in a thing I've written because I have, but uh, you know, I, I, it's it's a little too cute. It is it is a problem I often have with the J.J. Abrams work. Um, but we gotta talk about Matt bit, Reeves. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, please, please. I, I was just, we're just gonna say that, but yeah, let's talk about Matt Reeves. Um, Directs this pilot, by the way, with yeah. like very few credits to speak of yeah. as a director up until this point, mm-hmm. which now is kind of insane. Right. I mean, imagine being the co-creator of a television show and and I guess essentially demanding that you direct the pilot. And wasn't he like just J.J. Abrams' friend? And that's yeah. Like- <laughs> They were, and by the way, like JJ didn't really have any clout at the time either. These are just two guys that are buddies that like went to film school together and have known each other for years. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, per the, 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 um, the commentary track on the pilot between the two of them, they, they went to dinner in a Chinese food restaurant and JJ said, I've got this idea for a feature about a girl who, you know, essentially the pilot of, of the show. Uh, and they were like, I don't know if it's a movie, but it could be a pilot. And then over the course of this meal on literally, paper napkins they outlined this thing you know they write a script and you know they get it to to someone at uh, at imagine entertainment at the time which is ron howard and, and brian grazer's company and here we are i don't get it i don't get it mm-hmm. i don't understand how they got the, the 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 ability to do that at that level it's pretty crazy i mean i, I just i respect it but like yeah. wow uh, and matt reese does a great job and then kind of doesn't really direct for a while yeah, J.J. Abrams has to give him his next big break, which is Cloverfield. Which is, yep, yep. And then after Cloverfield, like his yeah. his his feature directing career is on 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 fire. Rails. Yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty amazing when you think about it that um that Matt Reeves directs this pilot and the show is successful. I imagine he's probably pretty intrinsically involved in it for the majority of its run. It seems like, or at least that's what it sounded like on the commentary track. I imagine he probably developed stuff and wrote stuff, but for whatever it's, for, for whatever reason, it's not until Cloverfield that he really gets to, gets to really kind of take off with it. Cloverfield being, feeling like an offshoot of the episode documentary, which is the documentary episode of Felicity, where Sean spends an entire episode recording everybody. Right. And, which is kind of funny too. And also you're saying that because that episode has a giant monster in it. So. Yeah. 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 Let's not forget about that. Sorry. Um, so. Let's can we talk for a second about the Sally device? Yes. Please. What are your thoughts on it, Emily? I actually don't mind it. That's like one of the things yeah. I do like. Uh it's certainly clunky and yeah. I think they kind of phase it out a little bit. They return yes. to it every so often. Mm-hmm. I think it works in the pilot. As a way to bookend the pilot, I think it's great. I think when you do a show about a person between the ages of uh let's say 10 and 25, you almost need to find a way to have them do voiceover, but doing just doing voiceover is you can't really do it anymore. Um, the uh, you know uh, Buffy obviously doesn't do that. Um, Freaks and Geeks doesn't do that, but like Veronica Mars does it. Um, uh, My So Called Life I think is still the champion of doing the Wonder Years. You know, Wonder Years does it. Um, but yeah, I think that this is a way of doing voiceover without doing voiceover. That's that's pretty smart. I think it's a better device for a pilot than a series. Like mm-hmm. when it turned up again in the other episode we watched, I was like, "Oh, they're still doing this." 
they do it for I, I'm pretty sure they do it for all of season one. And then it starts to peter out a little bit in season two. I, I fully agree with you. I, I what I loved about it, as you know, we're, we're both writers. It's kind of a perfect device, mm-hmm. which is that it takes the stink off of voiceover by actually f- like making it a physical entity within the show of her recording and using the video, the, the audio tapes, and sending them back and forth between her and Janine Garofalo. Um, it, it's it's an it's a really good device, and I often think about. You know, I'm, I'm working on a on a, a show that takes place in the the with a teenage character right now, and we're sort of talking about metatextuality within that show, and how you can find other devices to kind of deconstruct this notion of what, how to tell the audience what they need to know in ways that feel fresh and interesting. And I thought at the time this must have been one of those. Like that must have right. been a thing that critics were like, "This is clever." Yeah, um, yeah, I um. I I have not had nearly as much success in my my writing career as, as you, Phil. But um, <laughs> the script that my wife and I wrote that we've gotten a lot of success with is about a teenage character as well. And one of the things people really like about it is we find a way to do voiceover without doing voiceover. And mm-hmm. like people are like, oh, great, wonderful. <laughs> um, and, and like, because when, when we first started talking about it, I was talking with my wife and I was like, you need to, you, if you're doing my so-called life, you need voiceover but you can't do the voiceover because that show's already done that so well. So like, I think we found a way to do it. And like, um, you know, uh, everyone who's listening to podcasts, like it's 1999, of course, is not going to buy this show. They're just going to like run yeah. to pick this yeah. thing up. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but that's, that's, you're going to get the podcast like 99 bump. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, I do, I do like, I do like the idea that they have this device and I definitely think it got old very quickly as I recall. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a smart way to let people into the world of the pilot and letting people into the world of the pilot is, um, uh, a thing that I think, uh, JJ Abrams is really good at. I think he's really good at coming up with these devices that capture, um, coming up with devices that capture a central feel that the show should have placing it in the pilot and then running them into the ground. Um, another example, (laughs) another example is the flashbacks in lost, like, Yeah. The flashbacks and Lost, they stay vital a lot longer than the Dear Sally tapes do. But by a certain point, you're just like, why are they still doing this? And eventually they dropped those too. Um, or they shifted them into other forms and then dropped them entirely. Um, yeah, and there's a similar thing in, in Alias with sort of time skipping. Mm-hmm. Um, that mm-hmm. is another uh, – uh, that eventually also got tiresome. Um, but- yeah, it's, it, it's, it is – I fully agree with you. It, it does feel like a J.J. trope. Um, but to your, to, to your point behind the point, they're really, really good mm-hmm. in the beginning, mm-hmm. <laughs> which feels what one might say feels emblematic of a JJ Abrams television show, if you will, of they start off so good. Um, and then, you know, th- they can sometimes feel as though there wasn't a lot of forethought put into them, for instance. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I, I'm a big JJ fan. And, and in fact, I went through a bit of a, a JJ renaissance of rewatching some of his stuff, some episodes of Lost and Alias and Fringe and Felicity. And I, I really do consider all four of those shows would absolutely be in my top 20, if not top 30 favorite shows. I mean, I really do think that his stuff is great. 
And when it's clicking, there's nothing else as good as it. Mm-hmm. But when it's not clicking, you see all the gears and you see all the strings and they can be disappointing when that happens. Uh, yeah. This show obviously didn't have this, doesn't have the same issues because it's a straight up, you know, drama as opposed right. to things that require mythological explanations, for instance. With occasional time travel. Um, I, the only the reason, <laughs> the reason the only J.J. Abrams show, I think, works stem to stern i I think lost does and the reason i i think that is because he left seven episodes in and turned (laughs) it over to other people who like flailed around for a while but eventually like discovered a way to take he made a very poppy version of the show those first Mm -hmm. few episodes are very high concept very big picture and then when lindelof and cues are taking it over and running it themselves it maintains that poppiness but it also becomes like this weird philosophical meditation on faith and fathers and all the things that Damon Lindelof is always obsessed with. So, and that like is, that's why that lasts as a TV show. Like I think there are just some people in the TV industry who are really good at starting things and they tend to have giant careers. But -hmm. then if you ask them to continue it past, you know, the first 13 episodes, Ryan Murphy's another great example of that. And he eventually found a way to mm-hmm. do what he does best, which is start things and yet continue making the same TV shows. And, um, yeah, I would, I, I was thinking Ryan Murphy, I was thinking Shonda Rhimes a little bit too. Like I was thinking about people that, um, and I don't say this in a disparaging way, but feel like they have ADD, like that there's, that they're, they're kind of like, you know, ping ponging around and they get really excited about a thing. And then they're like, Oh, but I like this thing. I'm going to jam this thing into this thing, even Mm -hmm. though they might not fit together as opposed to a person like uh, a Damon Lindelof who, you know, has a, has his eye on the, on the horizon a little bit and is trying to kind of focus towards an end goal. Um, So I think that that's part of, I think that might also be feeding into this a little bit too. I wrote about this in, in my coverage of rise of Skywalker, JJ Abrams, most recent film um, and a catastrophe. (laughs) I was going to say, I don't have anything Uh, positive to say about that one, but I've been thinking a lot about a a quote, the blank check guys um, Mm -hmm. resurfaced, which is Elaine may talking about how, if you, you it's so easy to break the ecology of a movie. I think, and I wrote a piece about this. I think JJ Abrams does not particularly care about ecology in his stories. He is a, he's a zookeeper. He comes up with cool exhibits and like in a really great zoo, you don't care because you're seeing a bunch of cool stuff. But yeah. I think that's why he's better at beginning stuff than ending it because someone like Damon Lindelof is great at ecology. He's great at knowing this doesn't belong here. This doesn't belong here. Um, I don't know that JJ Abrams is as good as that, which is why he's maybe more successful in features because that is, a mentality that can work in the feature world. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and I, I'm, I'm going to point towards something that I know feels like a, a, a well-worn thing that people talk about, which is his TED talk mm. uh, about the, the magic box or the mystery box that is, uh, and that he never opened it. He doesn't know what's inside it. And he just loves that notion. Um, at some point you got to open the box is the thing. And, and I don't think that he ever wants to, um, I remember someone told me once that he, and this is the, the most JJ Abrams, story, in my opinion, the most JJ Abrams story, uh, when they were working on, uh, breaking ideas for Mission Impossible 4, I believe, mm-hmm. he put together a, like a think tank, brought a bunch of writers into a room just to kind of like, just kind of brainstorm ideas for, for what that could be. And, he came in one day and said, I got a great idea where they break into a safe and inside the safe is another safe. And I'm just like, that's JJ Abrams. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> like the world is a nesting doll to that man and he never wants to get inside. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. But I, I mean, listen, let's, I, I, it sounds like I'm slagging him, but I'm really not like it's, it's, I, I do love the journey. You know what I mean? You just wish that you just wish that they could stick the landing sometimes. That's all. But you know, and, and it is what it is. But back to Felicity real quick. <laughs> um, I, I, on the Sally device, mm. um, it also feels like it taps into the parody that can be Felicity. Um, Mad TV did a sketch called Intensity. I don't know if you ever saw it, which was quite yeah. funny, mm-hmm. where she's like, carving ben's name into her arm and like talking to sally on these tapes and she's just like this really obviously the most extreme version of of felicity's character but it just goes to show how this show lives on a real razor's edge right and if and if it tips you're nowhere and And sometimes it tips i believe at the emmys after that first season um everyone sort of expected carrie russell to be nominated and she wasn't and then sort of the like you've arrived and you're a good sport i believe they had the felicity cast perform scenes from the nominated dramas and uh it was such a great example of a how casting is so important but also b like how bringing the Felicity tone to a show other than Felicity would just utterly like, like when JJ Abrams was like, why can't she just be a spy? Like that would have tanked this show. Like this show exists in a very narrow ecology. And uh, usually when you exist in a narrow ecology, you should probably not be a TV show because you eventually like run out of room. So, yeah, which is what, which is what they eventually do. Um, So in terms of framework, in terms of things that sort of set the show apart, we have the opening of our pilot. Uh, Felicity is goes up to Ben Covington and asks him to write in her yearbook. And it's kind of a weird moment because he's like, I don't, I don't have my yearbook. And she's like, no, that's fine. And he writes in her yearbook. I'm going to read his note to Felicity real quick here. Um, and you tell me what the moment that he crossed the line is. Okay. Because <laughs> I, I have a feeling I know what it is says, Dear Felicity, here it goes. I've watched you for four years, always wondered what you were like, what was going on in your mind all the time, when you were so quiet, just thinking, drawing in your notebook. I should have just asked you, but I never asked you. So now, four years later, I don't even know you, but I admire you. Well, this may sound crazy, but I'm okay with that. So take care of yourself. Love, Ben. P.S. I would have said keep in touch, but unfortunately, we were never in touch. So for me, saying love to a person you've never met before... Seems unfair, perhaps, and, and might have been the thing that threw Felicity's life into chaos. Now, whether or not she was susceptible to that, we can have that discussion. But to me, it's just like, just say Ben, even if he just said Ben, but the fact that he says love, and then later in the pilot, we have perhaps Felicity at her most unspooled, where she screams, you made me fall in love with you. Which, which, <laughs> which, as I was watching it this morning, I couldn't help but see your text to me in like all caps. <laughs> just be like, Felicity, fucking boundaries. Like, she just doesn't have any. Yeah. And, <laughs> but if someone wrote something like this in your yearbook, someone that perhaps you had a crush on from afar, would it have thrown your life into a tailspin? Would you have found yourself sort of 
spinning a little bit. I'm not, I'm obviously not asking whether or not you would get on a plane and, and change your entire life for this person, but I think it might have, it might have thrown me for a loop. Phil, if someone had written in my high school yearbook <laughs> that I was the quiet, shy girl who like was always working on my drawings, it would have absolutely thrown me for a loop. And maybe I would have gotten to certain inevitable destinations a lot faster. <laughs> somebody had done this for me. I want to say that I think Ben crosses a line when he says, I've been watching you for four years, which is the first sentence of this thing he writes in the yearbook. And okay. Like that's the point where I'm like, what I want to say, I think the character Felicity Porter is a really strong character. I think they develop her into a strong one. I think in the pilot, she's a little bit of a male fantasy. Yes. Yes. You know, although she's not, you know, not precisely. She's obviously a character, strong character in her own right, but there's an element to her that starts from that point of view of what, what is this girl really like? And I think that's an element of this, this sort of internal thing within her as well. Like, yeah, she's, um, you know, she's kind of, she's kind of wild and kind of nutty and like, but that's why we love her. You know, like, like <laughs> yeah. I, it almost sounds like I'm describing a manic pixie dream girl, but I don't think Felicity is that she's too grounded for that. But it's like, yeah. it's like she lives next door and has picked up some bad habits, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, I, w- I would agree. Uh- hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So I, I want to kind of pivot a little bit um, to uh, the other two components of our love triangle uh, of Ben and Noel, Scott Speedman and, and Scott Foley, uh, the Scots, I guess. Now that, that uh, and so I kind of want to ask you what you think about the archetypes that they exist in a little bit because I think that Ben, in the beginning of the show. It certainly feels a little bit like they want him to be a little bit of a, I don't want to say a player, but he's, you know, he's, he's got a lot of girls. It feels like he's a good looking guy. He's a popular guy and he kind of enjoys the attention, I guess, to some degree. Um, and obviously Noel is, as you mentioned earlier, that sort of like prototypical nice guy that apparently never gets the girl. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I, and I guess sort sort of wanted to say that, and this this speaks again to the show kind of from from 30,000 feet for me personally which is that uh it tries to be more than just uh 
stereotypes. Like it, it, it's there and it's a WB soap drama. Like it's not, it knows what it is, but it does try to infuse a little bit of three dimensionality into it as much as it can. Um, and I think that Scott Speedman brings some dimension and Scott Foley brings dimension to those characters. But how did you feel about them? Oh boy. I, I think I just never found Ben that interesting. And I'm trying, I'm struggling to put my finger on why, because I know a lot of people just love him and think he's like a great example of this type, which is kind of the brooding, handsome boy that everybody loves. And when you get to know him, he's like got a, some really dark secrets, but also he's sensitive underneath all of it. Like <laughs> that's his archetype, right? You know, yeah. um, a little bit of Jordan Catalano there. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and, and Noel is a much better looking Brian Krakow, if you think about it. Um, yeah. wasn't, De- wasn't Devin Gummersall like on later? Wasn't he Julie? I believe he was. He was. He was the guy that he- raped Julie. Well, <laughs> now we know how this show feels about nice guys. Um, yeah. No, I, I, uh, I don't know. I was always so team Noel and watching it now through the eyes yeah. of, 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 you know, 20 years on and my own, um, you know, uh, awakening to myself. Like I see what, what people see in Ben, but I'm still like, I don't know. I love a responsible man, Phil. I just do. I love a guy. <laughs> I love a yeah. guy who will pay the bills, who will do some of the chores around the house. I'm 30 goddamn nine. I, you know, I just, I know yeah. what it takes to have a successful relationship in this life. And Noel is the guy you want to be with. Also, I think, I think Scott Foley's more attractive just on a pure, you know, rating man meat next to man meat level. Uh, <laughs> Scott Foley. I think yeah, he's much yeah. more handsome. And I think he has, he has continued to be become more handsome as he has aged into like uh, your best friend's sexy dad, you know, like uh, I, I, I agree. Yeah, I also think, I also think, Ben is dumb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I don't mean to, to, to really kind of like take it down to that level, but like, he's, he's kind of a dud. Like, he's just, and, and I don't, I, I think he's, again, I don't think Ben's a bad guy. I think he's got a big heart. I understand it. Scott Speedman is, is lovely. I think he does a great job. Um, I don't hate Ben as a character. It's just every time she's in scenes with this guy, I'm like, I get that you're smitten with him, but there's not much there there. I think, I think, I think Carrie Russell and Scott Foley have, have better chemistry too, which is probably influencing me a little bit. I know a lot of people would disagree with me on that. And granted, I haven't seen a lot of the later seasons. I've seen some of two and then basically none of three and four. So maybe it changes there, but it, it, I'll I'll say this again. I, I do, I want to give the show credit where, you know, where it can, but I I think that first of all, it should be said that Carrie Russell and Scott Spearman did date in real life. So they have some sort of chemistry. Um, but I, but I would also, I, I do think, think that when we get into season three and we have Felicity and Ben living together, it shows some dimensions to their sort of domesticity and some interesting layers there. Uh, but to your initial point, I do think that the show almost does too good a job with Felicity and Noel early on in the mm-hmm. show and arguably in its, in its best seasons that you can't help but feel like, why are you even into Ben? Really? Yeah. I mean, I, I like what, and, and, and we'll get to it eventually in a, in, in one of my favorite episodes at the top of season two, which is the one when she eventually, you know, the haircut hurt around the world. But, oh, no. <laughs> but I do think that she calls Ben out and says, like, I'm too good for you. 
And, and I appreciate that the show recognizes that. It even recognizes it in the pilot, quite frankly. Like Ben basically says to her, like, I'm not that fucking great. I lied on my entrance thing about my brother dying of brain cancer. Like, I'm not a great guy. Like, I don't know why you're so into me, which I kind of respect a little bit. Yeah. So I think that my problem with Ben is he always seems, and the show doesn't do this to its credit, but he seems like every five seconds, it's just going to turn into a show about how he can't read or something to, to get back to the Jordan Catalano thing. Like you mentioning Jordan Catalano is like that really just sparked for me. He feels like he's just going to turn this into like an issues drama and run with it. And like Felicity came so close to being that. And then it turned into kind of a fun rom-com and like that, that was a better romantic or a better creative decision. But yeah, he it, every time Ben's on screen with his kind of brooding energy, you're like, is this guy going to talk about how he has PTSD or something? Like it just, yeah, it just I clashes agree. with a lot of the rest of the show. I, I I totally agree. They they I'll say that there was one storyline that that actually kind of did a good job of of um, existing in both those spaces, which was when he when he gets addicted to gambling, mm-hmm. and it felt like it wasn't done in a in an after school special sort of way, but it it allowed enough drama so that Scott Speedman's delivery felt attuned to the storyline that he was a part of, if you know what I'm saying? Like it's when, when he's just, he's either like dopey kind of golden retriever Ben, which is fine. And, and that in and of itself is fine, but his delivery can be too dramatic sometimes for stuff. That's pretty light. Like the show's not that heavy, you know? Yeah. So, um, I want to talk just very briefly about Megan, her roommate who has only a brief, a moment in the pilot, but, <laughs> yeah. but, but again, like Amanda Foreman is so good on this show. And I, I really love how they take her character from being for lack of a better way of putting it a bit of a punchline, a bit of a sort of like, isn't it funny that Felicity is living with a goth sort of sexaholic, whatever, and turns it into a full fledged three dimensional character in later seasons. She starts to date Sean. Um, he starts to deal with testicular cancer and like, there's just, they start to do some really interesting stuff with her and make her actually not just a caricature. Uh, but she's so funny and she only has one moment in the pilot, basically all in a focus except for the scowl that she throws at Felicity when she realizes that she's living with her, which is great. Um, yeah. What do you uh, think okay. of it? I, I like her a lot. I like I like Amanda Foreman a lot. I remember that she popped up on Alias, and I want to say season four or five, mm-hmm. and people were just thrilled because there was there she was there was Greg Grunberg. Like people were excited about that couple, and I kind of feel like she. I don't know. I haven't seen her in a bit. I may be forgetting things that she's on. Like you may be like, well, Emily, she's been a regular in Grey's Anatomy for sixteen years. And I'll be like, she what? Uh, <laughs> I, I don't. <laughs> I've watched enough of that show to say I don't think that's true, but I can't conclusively dismiss it. Um, I, I I do love her a lot in this show. I do feel like she deserves a little better from the industry. I hope that she finds her way to something better if she's still acting, which maybe she's not. Um, I I I like Greg Grunberg too, um, and I want to do a, a quick a quick Grunberg sidebar. Um, please, please. Which, which should be a regular feature of this miniseries. It's just, <laughs> Absolutely. Obviously. I come on and talk for five minutes about Greg Grunberg. Um, <clears throat> no, this is literally <laughs> my, my one Greg Grunberg story, which is in 2000 and I want to say 2011 uh, at Comic-Con. This was the very early days of streaming television. And I think mm-hmm. it was Hulu 
had a show, like an animated show, where he was one of the voices. And it was like about superheroes in therapy or something. And they brought it to Comic-Con, but it was like something nobody had heard of. And so they screened the pilot for a bunch of um, – I don't remember the pilot at all. I know I watched it so I could ask questions about it. I don't remember anything about this show, but I know okay. that I did a panel for it at Comic-Con. They screened it for a bunch of people. This is like 9 p.m. So like this is after the hall has shut down. Like this is just like when Comic-Con's like, I don't know. Maybe people will go to this then. So they screened the pilot with me and Greg Grunberg and then there were a bunch of other people there but really the only people anybody cared about were Greg Grunberg and then I cared about myself because I was there um, <laughs> but I we they screen the pilot and the lights come up and there's maybe two dozen people in the audience there's may, maybe 24 25 and that's me being very generous they're all like grunheads they love <laughs> fucking Greg Grunberg and I open the floor. I do a few questions with them. And I'm like, I don't have anything to say about this show in the back of my head. So I'm like, I was like, I'm going to see what the crowd wants to hear. So I throw it to them. We, we ex- go over the time allotted because we were the last panel. Like they had to clear us out because these fans had so many questions for Greg Grunberg and they were good questions and they were insightful questions and they were questions about the show and about his career and like, there are people out there who think a lot about Greg Grunberg and God bless them. God bless them. I mean, it seems like JJ Abrams is one of them. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, good for Greg Grunberg in that case, you know? Yeah. I mean, he, he only has a vocal cameo in the pilot. Um, and then he becomes obviously a, a, a main supporting character of the show. Uh, you know, I, I like Greg Grunberg. I really do. He was, he was so, I don't know if you ever saw this pilot. I never saw it. But the catch, did you ever see? Did you ever see it? I never saw it. I heard good things about it. So did uh, I. Yeah. And then, I re- although that's like, the, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. That's the thing. I hear good things about every pilot JJ Abrams is involved with because I think JJ Abrams is very good at hyping his own shit. So like maybe it was terrible, yeah. but I just at the time it seemed like he could do no wrong and it seemed remarkable they passed on it. Yeah, I, th- that's exactly how I felt about it too. It felt like I remember when the the pilot script circulated. I was at UTA at the time. I remember thinking like, yeah, I mean, it's 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 Greg Rumberg and he's playing kind of an Indiana Jonesy type character, and isn't that fun? Um, I guess the question that I asked myself is whether or not ABC was like. Do we want Greg Grunberg to be the lead of our television show? Like, can we hang a whole show on this guy? And uh, I don't know. I mean, that's not a shot at Greg Grunberg. It's just like it's it's it makes me think about. Do you remember? Um, oh God, what was it called? The uh, the Rain Wilson um, uh, procedural that he did a couple years ago. Something Strum is that right? Oh yeah, yeah, Backstrom. Backstrom. Um, and it was just like, everyone was sort of like, it's tough. Cause when you try to build like a house, like character and you're just like, who can have romantic chemistry with this person? And it gets, it gets into weird sort of situations. I actually think that to rewind Amanda Foreman's the perfect foil to him. Like they, I bought their romantic chemistry together, even though, you know, Sean has to go through his whole love of Julie and Julie having to reject him and all that sort of stuff, which is also quite honestly, kind of an interesting storyline like most shows don't go with the guy doesn't get the girl yeah i actually i will say this for felicity uh, i think this is from maybe episode 
Yeah, no, this is from the pilot. There's this scene where Ben is talking with Felicity and it's all about Julie, right? Like yes, that's yes, in the yes, pilot, yes. right? Not in the yeah, other yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. And when I, my first, my first day of college, I met the woman who I later married. Uh, and I also thought I was in love with another woman uh, who liked, who like got really uh, excited uh, borderline horny about like storage containers. Like sh- the container store was her favorite place on earth. So uh, I thought I was in love with her. And all I did was talk to my wife who was like, at the time I was like, well, this is just a great friend of mine. I talked to her just about this other, uh, other girl. And um, uh, she was very confused and hurt and, and, and isolated by that, but we all were at the time and it turned out. Okay. So, <laughs> Uh, no, no. Seeing yeah, yeah. seeing Ben talk to Felicity about Julie, I was like, "Oh God, I was kind of an asshole, wasn't I?" Um, and it was very weird uh, to be in that, to be reminded of that situation, and be reminded of like all the power dynamics at play in that, and how like when you are that age, you are kind of callous without realizing you're being callous because you're so close to having like the empathy that comes with maturity and adulthood, but not quite there. You're closer than you were even two years before, but you're still not quite all the way there. No, I, I, I totally. And I actually think the scene does a good job of kind of conveying that. I mean, I think that, and this was something I wanted to ask you about because they mentioned it on the commentary track about how after they did the pilot, they showed it to the WB and they were like, we really love this, but like, it feels like you've, done a lot of story in this pilot like do you guys have enough gas in the tank to do multiple seasons which obviously they did but watching the pilot again i did find myself saying like wow they they burned through a fair amount of conflict Mm -hmm. i mean like having ben ask her about julie within the 44 minute pilot is kind of insane when you think about it Mm -hmm. but they do a good job of like you know delineating all that information but it does it makes for a great pilot but it does make you go like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You could have kind of spread this out a little bit if you wanted to. Yeah. I, th- I think one of the reasons that that J.J. Abrams is so good at television is he takes those pilots and you think about like a Netflix version of Felicity. Yeah. That pilot would be their first season and it would be yeah. so boring. It would be yeah. so dull. <laughs> like even if it was half hour episodes, which I think there's a very good Wonder Years-esque half hour version of this show. Yeah. Um, but – yeah, uh, he burns through that story in that pilot. He does an alias and lost as well. And you're like, where's yeah. he going to go with this? And eventually he runs out of gas and he yeah. runs out of gas sooner rather than later. But like, it's so exciting to watch him try. You know, it's funny. There, there is a school of thought and this does sort of harken back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier about, you know, the the Shondas, the Ryan Murphys, the J.J. Abrams of the world, all of them obviously hugely successful for a myriad of reasons. And and I love all three of them. But it does feel like the it is the it's the t- the the writer's room sort of headspace of that's that's tomorrow's problem. Today's problem is how do we make the best fucking episode we can do right now? And I totally respect that, but it can lead to <laughs> to shows that don't pay off in the end, right? Where yeah. it's like, so I, I think I, you know. I think that that is that makes that a lot of very good and especially very successful showrunners operate that way. Um, I think the best showrunners are the people who can somehow simultaneously do that while also being like, yes, but how does that affect season three? And then they can see five moves down the table and be like, oh, that's, right. that's, that's fine. Right. And like, that's why I think 
Damon Lindelof is ultimately a better showrunner than J.J. Abrams, but also probably why he's been less successful without J.J. Abrams working with him. Yep. I think, you know, there are there are a million different ways to run a room. And I've I've heard of a lot of them. Um, but when you look at like a Vince Gilligan versus a, you know, a Ryan Murphy, for instance, uh, neither of which are better or worse, but one of them runs their room like a Swiss watch where it's like, I know every nook and cranny of this thing and it can make for a show that feels a little bit hermetically sealed, right? Like it's mm-hmm. not really breathing because of that. And, you know, that's it, that's what some people said about, you know, season two of, of Breaking Bad, uh, which was that it felt a little bit too sort of like wound. Whereas there's a, there's a, breathing room that you have with a ryan murphy show but as we said sometimes might not stick the landing it's just you know it's it's really just some people live in the moment they live in the now and they're just like i want to make one episode of great television and then i'll make another episode of great television but i'm not going to worry about what's 20 episodes down the road and that's a choice and i think that that mentality made a lot more sense 20 years ago than it does right now Oh yeah. Right now when we're living in the world of intense serialization, where again, the first season of Felicity would probably be just this pilot if it came out today. Um, you really need somebody who is like thinking 20 moves down the line. And uh, if we had, if we swing back to a more episodic model, as I think we probably will. Yeah. Um, even looking at the shows that have been most popular lately, they are more episodic than something like Game of Thrones, you know, something like Succession. Uh, yep. something like Watchmen is much more episodic. But if you look at sort of that, the way that if you want to do this kind of television, you almost need it to be. I think one of the great examples of this is X-Files because X-Files was all over the place, but it could do anything because the next week it could just be something else. And yep. that's the problem with like uh, Ryan Murphy at his worst is he's trying to do anything, but the next week he can't just be something else. And, and that throws him until he figured out that the next season, he could just be something else. <laughs> yeah. No, once he birthed anthology television all over again, he, yeah. he changed the game. Yeah. By the I, way, this, is, yeah. this is a little TV critic buzz, but Hollywood, the, the new uh, show, mm-hmm. new show Hollywood, pretty good. It's pretty good. Oh, you've, oh, you watched it. I've seen some of it. It's pretty good. Yeah. Wow. Like you heard it here first. I'm excited. I'm actually excited for Hollywood. Truthfully. I think I'm under embargo, but I don't know how many people are going to listen to the Felicity mini. Yeah, I, don't, I don't think you have to worry too much. <laughs> it's like it's 1999. <laughs> um, we could talk about it off mic, but I am curious to hear some of your thoughts about it. But uh, so I, I want to talk a little bit about um, the end of the pilot, essentially, which is uh, Noel's speech to Felicity to stay in New York mm-hmm. um, and the stay in New York or perish line that he says to her and her saying, you're not telling me this because you have feelings for me, right? And he goes, yes, I have feelings. Like, the, again, the, the balls it takes in the pilot to have her ask him that question and for him to say yes and for it not to take the whole fucking house of cards down with it is pretty fucking incredible. Yeah. Be- and it's a testament to them, right? Because you can see the look on her face, which is she's flattered and she likes that this boy likes her but doesn't know what to do with that information and that he's sweet enough that you know that this isn't happening tomorrow. So like, it's all going to be okay. Yeah. It's, it's really kind of an amazing balancing act that they have in that scene, which I appreciate. And, and to your point shows the very delicate and adorable chemistry that the two of them have. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have the moment where Felicity finds out that her dad pulls strings for her in order to get into the school in the first place, which she hates I, again, 
really appreciate and feel like having a female lead character who wants to control their own destiny and is pushing yeah. back against a man that wants to control it for her, I think is, is pretty great and progressive. Yeah. And, and Felicity's parents are just the worst. Like even <laughs> they really the, are, even the performances are like, they're, they're fine performances, but they're just like, they feel like they came from a different TV show. Really? Yeah. It's like and 30 like, something or something. Yeah. And like, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't remember how often they turn up. I assume not very, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think I, I really do like, I do like what the show is saying about her branching off and being on her own and doing her own thing. And I do agree with you that it's a powerful progressive statement, particularly for 1998. But I think the show makes it a little easy on her by making her parents so cartoonishly bad. Um, obviously they're not like stabbing people in the heart or anything like that, but they are very much like controlling and narcissistic and weird. And now that I'm saying this, I'm like, well, they're just baby boomers. So maybe the show nailed it. Maybe the show. nailed. It. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, they totally get boomers. I mean, uh, not, not, truthfully though, like I look at them in this pilot and I'm like, these are the people that are, you know, in their sixties and seventies right now that are looking at what, you know, I, we're literally quarantined right now because of the boomer generation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you to Felicity's <laughs> parents for everything that has happened to us right oh, now. Oh, God. Um, I really, I mean, as again, I'm, I, I'm a big, uh, a big softy. I really love the, um, I want to see New York when it snows after it mm. snows. I know it's a, che- it can be a little cheesy, but again, like this is the thing about this show, which is a line like that on paper can be executed really, really poorly yeah. by, by bad actors that make the whole thing feel saccharine and shitty. And somehow Carrie Russell and Scott Speedman standing on a roof in Los Angeles, not New York, but whatever. Uh, and him saying, I can't wait to see what the city looks like when it snows. It's just a really nice thing. Two Californians that are living in New York. And I don't know. It's, it's, yeah. it's a nice thing. Uh, I, I yeah. really like it, it reminded me of, uh, the Christmas 2016. I was like, I got to get to New York so I can see it at Christmas before the world ends. Uh, <laughs> and I was only three years off. Uh, you know, I only, yeah. Yeah, but like, yeah, like there's something romantic and beautiful about New York when it snows that um, absolutely I buy that Felicity and Ben would be sort of taken in yeah. by Californians like find snow weird and magical uh, in a way that those of us who actually yeah. have grown up with snow are like, um, point of order. <laughs> so um, I don't, I, I don't think we touched upon this earlier, but I do love that Janine Garofalo is the voice of Sally. Um, just a great voice. Uh yeah, I mean, just a, a couple quick little production things. Uh, Scott Foley was supposed to play Ben originally. Uh, I yeah, mm-hmm. he was supposed to play Ben, and they literally were three days before shooting, and they didn't have a knoll. So they started doing a bunch of like casting to try to find a knoll. Then they saw Scott Speedman's tape, and they were like, this guy's Ben. And then they went to Scott and said, Scott Foley and said, we want you to be Noel. And he was like, sure, I'd love the show. want to be a part of it, whatever. So it really was just kind of a crazy thing. But three days before shooting a pilot and you don't have one of your leads is bonkers. But anyway. You hear about that uh, happening all the time. It's almost like the entertainment industry is run by the seat of its pants. Yep. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I remember the uh, the Fringe pilot. They didn't have uh, – they had to reboard the pilot. They started shooting it before they had Joshua Jackson. He showed up into production. I mean, that's fucking crazy. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, so you know, we've basically talked about the pilot in 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 all of its uh in all of its glory. Uh, I want to talk about something real quick before I yada yada through the first ten episodes and get us to the episode that you know. I have a note too, so you oh, do please. Yours. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll do uh, mine. Yeah, go, go ahead. Uh, this has a score by W. G. Snuffy Walden. One it of does. The great, one of the great TV composers of all time. This is not his greatest score. This is just kind of a. This is kind of a kind of him phoning it in. <laughs> A <laughs> little bit, a little bit. It sounds like him just kind of being like, I guess this is kind of like a, a Herskowitz Zwick, Zwick show. So I'm just going to do some of the soft guitars and the people going, bah, da, da, da. yeah, I, I, it was very distracting to me in a way that I don't always find his scores. But then he went on and did West Wing and won an Emmy and became W.G. Snuffy Walden. So, yeah, yeah. W.G. Snuffy it. Walden became a name with gravitas. <laughs> Didn't he do? He did Friday Night Lights as well, right? Am he I, did Friday Night Lights. Yep. <clears throat> and so, he, uh, that was a really amazing uh, job of of doing a score that sounds like another band's work. Like that sounds like Explosions in the Sky. You never really quite notice it's him doing it, unless you yep. really think about it. And like, I think that's one of the great TV scores of all time, and a little underrated. Sorry, Phil, I cut you off. No, I absolutely agree with you, a hundred and ten percent. Friday Night Lights is one of those shows that I keep planning on doing a rewatch of because I haven't done a complete rewatch of that in a really long time. Um, so I'm looking forward to doing that eventually. But the person I wanted to bring up very quickly on here uh, is one of my favorite ridiculous. Hollywood stories, which is Riley Weston. <gasps> Yay! <laughs> so, for those who don't know who Riley Weston is, uh, Riley Weston was an actor, or might even still be an actor for all I know. Um, but she is an actor on Felicity. She plays one of the people in Felicity's dorms. She's also a writer on the first season of Felicity. She was only involved in the first 10 episodes or so of the show. Um, and she convinced <laughs> everybody that she was 19 years old when she was actually in her early 30s. Mm-hmm. And convinced everyone that she was this wonderkind. She got signed at UTA. She got truly got an overall deal at Touchstone <laughs> that year. Everyone thought she was... This just absolute, we can't believe it. She's 19. Look at how brilliant she is. And then apparently either someone that knew her in high school or an old friend or someone kind of ratted her out. And yeah. were under somebody the was doing a profile of her. Yes. And a journalist yes. was doing a profile and it, it, obviously the profile was never published, but they were like, they found out that she was actually 19 and like, well, someone said she was, and then they started to do some homework and did some digging into some of her paperwork and into some of her ID that she was using and what have you. And ultimately found out that she was only 19 years old. Now this is something that really could only have happened (laughs) around this time. Yeah. Because shortly thereafter, the internet becomes a place where it's kind of impossible for a person to be able to to pull off something like this. Um, But it's just amazing to me to think about, like, if I was in a writer's room and all of a sudden I realized that one of the writers was just a fraud, like a fraud and that they weren't the person they said they were. And it's just, it's, it's crazy to me. Uh, she wrote one of the episodes in the first 10 uh, or co-wrote one of them. And, you know, subsequently she's obviously apologized for it and said, you know, it was wrong. And she, she like brought her mom into this whole thing too, to like corroborate all of these false facts. It was like a, it was a crazy thing. Um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, it, you were happened. you were you were in a writer's room with Robert Durst, so you do remember, like, <laughs> what it's like to yes. realize one of the yes. writers is a fraud, just, just <laughs> burping his way through days and days on uh, in the writer's room. <laughs> uh, no, I uh, another reason this is the this is the only time this could have happened is Hollywood's obviously always youth obsessed, 
it was never more youth obsessed in terms of writers than it was in basically from when friends debuted to about when friends ended. Cause the friends room was famously full of like 23, 24 year olds. And yeah. So like now everybody was like, well, if they had like, if a 13 year old had come into Hollywood and been like, I have a really great, uh, I have a really great ER. You want to read my ER? And people are like, wow, this ER is fantastic. ER is great. Look at him. He wrote it and everything. <laughs> uh, he would, you know, he would have gotten the job. Um, but yeah, it, and that's like that, like that, that's the thing is that now people would be like, yeah, but can you run a show? You're 13. No, wait a little bit. Um, it's, it is, we're also talking about like, this is peak WB, right? I mean, 1999 is when the WB is, excuse me, is just firing on all cylinders. You've got Dawson's Creek in its second season. You have Felicity, you have Buffy, you've got all these shows that are really working. Um, and to your point, friends is working like everyone wants to sort of capitalize and bottle youth and figure out a way to be hip and cool and all that sort of stuff. Right. So it's, it's interesting. But, and, and Riley Weston just rode that all the way to a, an overall for a little while. Uh, I hope it becomes a season of Ryan Murphy's Hollywood. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> so, uh, I'm just going to very quickly, uh, breeze through some key plot points in those first 10 episodes so that it doesn't seem as though we're completely, um, talking out of school but uh felicity sends in her application essay to ben accidentally <laughs> i don't know uh ben and julie keep dating to felicity's chagrin felicity's parents show up and try to unring the bell of her staying in new york her mom understands why felicity did what she did uh felicity records a, <laughs> this is one of my favorites felicity records a tape to sally about her dreams of having sex with ben which gets played at a dorm party does it, do they like lay a trap beat under it? Does everybody dance? No, it's just someone accidentally puts it with all the other tapes and the guy like absentmindedly just like picks it and puts it into the tape deck and echoes it through the entire door. I was, I was so horrified by that. I just flailed for a while before remembering this is an auditory medium. It's fantastic. It's her and she's never had sex before. So it's her talking. It's, it's truly, it is something amazing. Remind me, put a pin in that. We're going to come back to that. Because- yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, okay. Yep. Uh, and then uh, Felicity and Noel play Boggle together, and he kisses her. They make out, but he tells her he has a girlfriend who lives out of town who will soon become Jennifer Garner and then soon become Scott Foley's actual wife until she uh, isn't anymore. Uh, Felicity gets her iconic job at Dean and DeLuca and we meet Javier who is introduced as her manager and quickly becomes her friend. Uh, Julie and Zach start dating, AKA, uh, sorry, why am I drawing a, a Krakow? Is that his name from, uh, from my so-called yep. life? Yep. Yep. Brian Krakow. Right. Uh, uh, Elena starts, meets this guy named Blair. They start dating Zach, uh, crosses a line with Julie and, basically forces himself on her and rapes her. Um, Noel's girlfriend, Hannah shows up played by Jennifer Garner for Thanksgiving. Felicity gets jealous. Everyone stays in New York for Thanksgiving. They have a really sweet dinner together in the dorm. Uh, in one of my favorite episodes, Noel is given quote unquote smart powder by Megan, but it has beats in it and it makes him have a hyper reaction. And he just freaks out in the library at Felicity helping Ben study. It's a really funny episode. Uh, and then Ben and Noel find a way to move past their frustrations by both having feelings for Felicity. That's basically where we're at by the time we get to episode 110, which is episode uh, called Give Me an O, mm-hmm. which is the first episode to air in 1999. It aired on January 19th, 1999. It was written by Jennifer Levin, directed by Tom Moore, 
And I'll give a brief synopsis before we get into it. But uh, Felicity returns from winter break and tells Noel she wants to have sex. An endeavor that brings much scheduling, research, and preparation. Julie dreads telling Felicity about her new bond with Ben. And Elena wonders how to use a gift from Blair. And by your time, by your timeline, this is the last episode to have the help of Riley Weston. So that's why Correct. it's so great. Yeah, that's Riley why it's great. In the room still. Yeah, they, they, all that thirty-two-year-old youth hipness is gone. And uh, yeah, I mean, I here's what I'll say about this episode. Um, I, I I like this episode. I think it's a fun episode. Uh, I like that the way that this show handles sex in a in a pretty frank way that isn't too heavy, but is also sort of making it clear that, you know, don't just run in, don't just run into sex, you know, try to make it important if you can, if that's something that's important to you. It's basically just like, it's your choice and you should embrace that choice and don't feel the pressure of others to do things that you might not be ready to do, which I think is a nice message. Um, I love Felicity in the bookstore. We'll get to that. But when she goes into the bookstore looking for sex books, She's like a fucking alien. It's like she, it's, 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 it's amazing. Um, so I guess let's, let's talk a little bit about, um, I guess, I guess do you want to talk a little bit about like Felicity and, and her virginity, I guess, to some degree or another, like this notion of it. I don't have a problem with the idea that Felicity has not had sex before. Yeah. Um, particularly in the, in the world of nineties television. Um, but also particularly in the world of the 90s. Like I'm just a little bit younger than Felicity and like it was not hard to get to college and not have a ton of exposure to sex. Like now I think the kids, boy, they have their phones out all the time and they're just like like taking <laughs> naked pictures of themselves and yeah. sending them to the cloud uh, and that's not good. Um, but – you really, I, you really broke it down perfectly, Emily. <laughs> uh, but no, I, 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 what I do take issue with is Noel's her first boyfriend. Like, there is a, there's this, the thing about Felicity that I kind of objected to in the pilot feels even more pronounced here, which is she's like this weird untouched object. Yeah. Felicity doesn't feel like she exists before Felicity exists. And obviously that's fine because we only know her for the course of this show. But the per, but it feels like Felicity was, was sealed in a container for 18 years. And then somebody said, Oh, you can go to NYU or it's a non copyrighted equivalent. And she was like, great. I'm going to do it. Yeah. She's, she has a little bit of the, the trope that's called born sexy yesterday. Um, which is uh, that you know, like like whoever it is in Fifth Element, like the character who just started existing and like has a babyish mentality, and and like like obviously Felicity doesn't have a babyish mentality, but the uh, the thing I like about my favorite TV characters is they feel like they have a past and they feel like they have a future, and I'm seeing this snippet of their lives. I don't really feel like Felicity has a past. I think when the show ends, because I did watch the finale, I think when it ends, it feels like she has a future. But it doesn't. She doesn't feel like a real person until that pilot starts. Yes. You know, I think that part of yes, I agree with everything you're saying. She does feel a little bit um, like she was born yesterday. But I'll say this, and I, I think that this stems a little bit from uh, the issues that um, that Matt Reeves and J.J. Abrams had about casting Carrie Russell. 
Mm -hmm. which is that Carrie Russell is so beautiful that you have to ask yourself, first boyfriend at 18 seems highly unlikely. Mm -hmm. The version of Felicity that they saw is a, my guess, again, a sort of mousy, bookish, wallflower type character that that you can understand hasn't had many boyfriends and is sort of is is kind of a little bit um cloistered inside themselves a little bit right the problem is that felicity first and foremost is also the lead of a television show mm-hmm. it would be tough to have that bookish type character hang a whole show on that type of person so there's a little bit of push and pull and they're basically asking you to buy in and say like just by the fact that Carrie Russell hasn't had a boyfriend before because right. we need you to, to get us where we're going. I'll say this. I don't buy it, but what I do buy is when she says it to him at the end, it, it makes your heart melt a little bit mm-hmm. because Carrie Russell selling you on this idea that she's never loved another boy before in this way. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, I think there is a, you know, if I if if you're casting Carrie Russell in this, and you have that concern about is she, you know, mousy or enough or whatever, you already have the thing in the pilot where her parents have determined her life for her. You don't have to go very far to just do um do something like Booksmart or like Freaks and Geeks, where the lead of your show had a very prescribed life, and then they had this moment of clarity when they were like, I want to do my own thing, because like everybody kind of does that in adolescence. I don't think you have to go very far to make this character that, that they kind of stuck to the idea of who she was, you know, that they stuck to that and didn't let it evolve is I think, um, it's not like a significant weakness of the show because it doesn't come up that often, but I think it is a weakness. I, I would, I would agree with you. I, I, it's funny you bring up freaks and geeks because there is the Lindsay Weir version of Felicity. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Where, cause Lindsay was kind of a weirdo. You know what I mean? Like she didn't have a boyfriend. She didn't have these things. Like she hasn't had sex before. Like she has a lot of the the various things that exist within the Felicity character. Uh, and in a way, you just buy it more coming from Linda Cardellini than you do from Carrie Russell. I mean, she's also sixteen. Like, like there's a, there's that a big gap between sixteen and eighteen. And yeah, um, yeah. no, you're right. You're right. Uh, I, I think that uh, the opening of the of the episode, which is uh, Felicity and Noel. Uh, you gotta love Felicity in a sweater and a wool hat. It's winter in New York and everyone's all bundled up and they're adorable together. And she just says to him, I want to have sex. And he drops his brand new iMac. Do you remember those iMacs? Those like multicolored iMacs. Mm-hmm. And as much as the, I want to have sex dropping the computer is funny. What I actually find funnier is that that computer is taped up in his room for the rest of the series, basically. So there's just <laughs> always this like broken computer there, yeah. which I think is kind of fantastic. I I have one of those in storage somewhere. So really that's yeah. I, I bet a, I do too. I have a personal anecdote for everything in this show. It turns out because <laughs> I am Felicity. <laughs> um, I, I like that Felicity asked Noel to get an HIV test. Um, you know, again, it's sort of a, a a moment in history a little bit in the sense that television shows shining a light on stuff like that, which I think is interesting um, for what it's worth. Uh, I really don't like the Elena, I don't understand how to wear Blair's gift storyline. That is a, that a is weak-ass storyline. That is a classic late 90s. Well, we know diversity is a concept. 
So we're going to add a character of color, but they don't organically exist within our conception of the show. So we're going to struggle to come up with storylines for them for at least three seasons. And then we'll like start throwing them random bullshit and it'll start to work because they'll glom onto something. Um, yep. Same thing happened with Charlie on West Wing, you know? A hundred percent. It's funny because the next episode, which I'll be talking about, obviously, after this episode, uh, was um, – has a, a much more significant Elena storyline in it. And I think it struggles a little bit with that diversity component as to how does this exist within our ecosystem? Yeah. Um, which I think is interesting. I really enjoy Ben and Noel's funny prickly relationship mm-hmm. that they're kind of always kind of jabbing at each other a little bit yeah. that I think is entertaining and not in a dick wagging way. Like it's a way of showing like these guys obviously have something to prove to each other, but in a way that I think is endearing. It could have just been uh, shitty. Now to the Elena of it all. Now you would just have one black woman writer in the room and you'd be like, Oh, you write all the Elena stuff. And that that's better. Like that is a much better system. There's nothing wrong with that system at all. <laughs> uh, sure. I mean, I think that, uh, so Gina Prince by the wood, Mm-hmm. is on the show oh okay she, all right and she writes the next episode which has the oh, great. significant okay. late mm-hmm. episode so so they did learn your lesson mm-hmm. earlier um this shows but, you the degree to which i'm familiar with the felicity writers room which is not at all <laughs> no 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 I, I'm, I'm not that wasn't i wasn't you know i was just merely informing you oh, no, yeah. that it does exist to some degree uh as i was mentioning earlier felicity storming into a bookstore going up to an old lady and saying, excuse me, where are your sex books? And and then having a conversation with her in the aisle, but speaking far too loudly about it and thinking that that's what's making the woman uncomfortable is that she's talking about sex and not the decibel with which she's speaking at is kind of like, Felicity is just like, doesn't understand humans at times. There's times you're just like, are you a robot? Uh, born sexy yesterday, Phil. Born sexy yesterday. Like, no, there is one of uh, the things, one of the things I think I never quite connected to in this show is I do think Felicity sometimes feels like the understandings, the, the way two white guys understand yeah. women to be. And I think Carrie Russell brings out other shades in her. They certainly had a, a female heavy writer's room for mm-hmm. the time, uh, which helped. But the character herself could never quite overcome the fact that like she was created as a specific type of girl. These, these two guys had seen in high school and not really known about. And then like, they never quite escaped that. So she does have like elements of, I guess it'd be fun if she did this. And um, I think it gets better as, especially season one goes along and they evolve more into a comedy because yeah. Carrie Russell is so good at playing comedy. But um, I don't know that the show ever escaped that for me. I, I fully agree with you. I think that it's 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 funny because um, I feel like this is a good time to talk with you about this because I'm I, I I I think that the show hits a certain point and it seems to be around season two where apparently what happened in the writers' room was everyone showed up and no one had any sophomore stories. People only had freshman stories mm-hmm. and like junior senior stories they just year two of college for whatever reason was like a vacuum like a black hole that no one could think of anything so that's where the haircut comes from that's where the sort of like we need an impetus to sort of we need to shake up the show with something significant we need to split her up from ben we need to bring in new guys we need to do a twilight zone episode we need to just do things to shake up this 
this show. And I think the instinct is right because to your point, like it would just, it, it, it couldn't survive on what it had in its mm-hmm. tank. And, you know, obviously the haircut was catastrophic to its ratings and the show limped along for two more seasons after that. But season two is kind of messy and crazy and weird. Like, they did a Twilight Zone episode. Like, think about that. What To what degree do you think the haircut, obviously you're going to be talking about this later in this series, yeah, yeah. but to what degree do you think that that myth of it changing the show that much is true? Because as I recall, they also moved it to a new time slot where it was much more competitive and... Um, There's a bunch of things that were working against it in that moment. They thought they had a big enough hit on their hands that they could move it to another night and that it could launch other shows. And that didn't happen because the haircut coincides with that. And everyone literally turns on her in the media. In the It was it was a crazy thing when you think about it. Now, again, I don't know if, if the equivalent would even happen today. Right. Like, right, I right. don't know. But... But I think but, that if it happened today, there would be there would be blogs that sort of spoke to the opposite point of view. Like uh, I know literally who at Vox we would assign the "women can change their hair, you ingrates" piece. <laughs> like, but yeah, the nineties were a big time for people being like, "Women changing their hair, what?" I mean, Hillary Clinton went through it too. Like, like yeah. you know, to, to list two people who are exactly the same. Felicity Porter and Hillary Clinton. <laughs> I'll say this though. I, I, I think that there's something also to be said about um and again, this is not this is nothing you don't already know, but ratings aren't what they used to be, right? So like this idea that that Felicity loses, let's just say, 20%, 30% of its audience because of her haircut, and they have to literally like restructure the entire television show and do all these crazy things. I just don't think it would happen today. I think yeah. that you'd have your fans, they'd stick with the show, and it would be fine. But um, so, of course, Felicity schedules sex. That feels that feels like something that Felicity would do. Uh, Who doesn't? <laughs> scheduling sex and not just scheduling it also saying you know if you need to do something else and you need to reschedule you know just let me know like anyway absurd uh i think there's also something sort of sweet about felicity calling victoria's secret and talking with the salesperson about what they think her boyfriend might like (laughs) it's kind of adorable uh the tree catching on fire is broad but i still kind of think it's funny Mm-hmm. It still works for what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, Julie ruins everything like she generally does, uh, which is that, you know, she tells Noel that her and Ben have been hanging out and Noel says to Felicity, I don't want to be the rehearsal when it comes to sex. I don't want your first, you know, if you want to be with Ben, then like, why the fuck am I here? Uh, and it, it you know it, it raises a bunch of interesting stuff which which comes to fruition later on down the road when Felicity has the opportunity to have sex and Noel has the opportunity to have sex with with his ex and he chooses not to and she chooses to have sex and all sorts of fireworks come off of that. I remember but that episode fondly. It's a good episode. It's a good episode. Uh, so I, I you know I think that uh, this kind of as is the case with you know how shows are broken up into chunks. This is the first episode that kind of launches us to the to the end of season one, or at least this string of 10 episodes or so, is really sort of, I think, the show at its highest watermark. It's mm-hmm. when it's when it's really clicking. It feels like all these storylines are actually dovetailing in a way that makes sense. Um, 
so I, I, I think that this stuff's really nice. I also, <laughs> I appreciate that, <laughs> that the script forced ABC into paying for the rights to REM's Everybody Hurts because he's literally singing the song in mm-hmm. the scene. Mm-hmm. So they had no choice but to have it in there, which I think is great. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, I, I, I thought it was a really fun episode. I, I think it's, I think it's a good one as we head deeper into it. Um, there might be, there are better ones, but uh, I just appreciated a fun sort of sex romp Felicity episode. Yeah. I don't know. What did, what did you think? I, I enjoyed this episode as well. I mean, the Elena storyline is not good. Um, the, I like, but I, this has a lot of the elements I like within the show. Um, I think Ben is better when he's being kind of hyper earnest and he gets to be a little hyper earnest in this episode. I think Noel is a cutie pie. Uh, he gets to be cutie pie. Uh, I think Felicity is, you know, totes adorbs, as the kids would say. Uh, <laughs> he gets to be here. Like, this yeah. is just like, this is just like the best version of the show is a hangout drama. You get to go to this dorm and hang out with these people you, you have a pretty good time with. I think that one of the, one of the things that maybe, uh, hurt the show a little bit for as good as the love triangle is and for as much as that provides fuel for the rest of the show, I think it would have been better as a much larger ensemble. You know, this as a singular piece about one woman is fine. I think that if it had branched out a little bit and had had uh, other people in there, I think the version of this show that you can sell today is Felicity is one character who moves into a dorm with three other women. And then all of those women have their own travails and, you know, romantic struggles. And uh, of course I would also make Felicity a trans girl because I'm me, but like then, then you have a ready answer for like why nobody was dating her in high school. Cause she's like, everybody knew her secret and now yeah. she's in New York and nobody knows her secret and blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah, blah. Like yeah. the story suggests itself, Phil, let's write this show. <laughs> I mean, I'm in, I'm in. I, I think that you're really kind of underlining something that I think was one of the bigger weaknesses of the show, mm-hmm. which was that Julie and Elena always felt like, Oh, we need a Julie and Elena storyline. Mm-hmm. Like it never felt like they were actually invested in them, that they actually cared about them. And because of that, it actually creates this weird sort of like Felicity's relationship with Julie and Elena isn't great. Like none, they don't, they don't actually get along that great as friends. So what it really creates is a situation where Felicity is just always obsessed with the boy in her life at the time, as yeah. opposed to having full-fledged female relationships yeah so, and i um yeah. i think that is another another thing that you can sort of tell the show was was written and run by men because men don't understand don't fi- fundamentally don't understand the primacy of female friendship in a way that like um i think that that women who run shows are a lot more tuned into that you think about uh, to return to shonda rhymes you think about that friendship between meredith and christina in the first 10 seasons of Grey's, that's like the fundamental relationship of the show in a yeah. way that makes the love triangle stuff feel less, uh, less like Meredith is just like a damsel in distress or whatever you might think. So it's, it is, it is a platonic love story between those two characters. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the heart, the beating heart of that show for yeah. a good stretch of it, despite your McSteamies and your fucking whatever's mm-hmm. McDreamies or whatever, like that stuff's all fun kind of window dressing to the fact that it's about the, the two of them. I, I completely agree with you. And, and I think that to your point, if this show was made today, I think that it would be embolstered by just, or emboldened by a lot more kind of strong female characters that were right. interacting with one another. So it didn't feel so myopic, but 
you know. I remember when Julie left the show, I think at the end of season three, yeah. um, I was big into reading. There was this sort of uh, boom industry in TV spoiler reporters. Um, uh-huh. You had you had Kristen Del Santos, I don't remember her maiden name at E, mm-hmm. and you had Michael Osiello at at the time mm-hmm. I think it's at TV Guide. Yeah. And like I would read their reports every week, and they just were like, "Oh, here's some spoilers about your favorite shows." And I remember Kristen got the scoop that Julie was leaving Felicity, and she reported it to her readers. And she was like, aren't we all sad? And I remember I had watched Felicity pretty faithfully for the better part of two seasons. And I was like, who's Julie? So <laughs> that gives yeah. you a sense yeah. of how, how well this it's, show serviced that character. Totally. And it's not that that – oh my God, this is so terrible that I don't even know the actor's name who plays Julie. What the Amy Joe Johnson. Hey, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I was just uh, looking at the Wikipedia page. <laughs> Great. I, I think that Amy Jo Johnson is, is a fine actor. I don't, I don't actually have an issue, issue with her acting. It's that they just, you know, her storylines of a rape storyline that was obviously, as I said earlier, I think was handled relatively well considering the time, but at the same time, not a fun, not a fun storyline for obvious reasons. And also and a you, terrible storyline to be like, here's your first big story for a female character. Right. Your first female story is to be a victim. Mm -hmm. And then, and then your second major storyline is, is that you were adopted and you want to find your birth mom. And that goes on for what feels like a very long time. And I mean, that is realistic. You have to do a lot of paperwork. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It was too much bureaucracy. That's what really uh, jammed the works of Julie's character. But uh, yeah, I just, I I think that ultimately to, to, to your point, she leaves the show and no one kind of cares. Like I could tell you, do you remember how she left the show by any chance? I don't. I don't think I watched that episode. She gives, she records a videotape and it's her on a TV screen telling the cast that she's leaving and this is why she's leaving and she's going to go be with her mom and everything's going to be fine. Like they don't even really write her out. Like we don't see physically see her character go on some sort of a journey. It's all off camera and it's all, yeah. So, I mean, again, they just Which, never really knew what to do with her. Today, we there would be like an expose on like who she had pissed off in the cast because like that is how oh, 100%. Write, that is how you write out an actor that that um like you remember um oh God, what's her name from um now I can't remember the name of her, Archie Punjabi. I was gonna uh, say the the Good Wife is like the the prime example of where that. it's like they tried to make it look like they were hanging out and it was so bad. <laughs> so and, bad. I just like. Yeah. No. Yeah, it was like Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It was like literally like two people in like two completely different art forms. It felt like sitting at a bar together. Just to talk about, um, yes. uh, just to talk about TV, like TV stories, like like TV legends, TV buzz. It is wild to me. We haven't gotten the, the definitive account of who pissed who off on The Good Wife. Like I have heard, it's kind of amazing, both versions from people <laughs> who would know. So, yep. yep. Yeah, I don't think I think it's I mean, it's so speaking of of Hollywood mysteries, this is actually a funny way to come to to, to we'll, we'll wrap up on this, which is uh, <laughs> so somebody posted on Twitter um, uh, the poster for Felicity saying I'm watching this for the first time. And then Julie Pleck replied to that saying, I love that pilot. It's one of the most beautifully shot pilots I've ever seen, but I still don't know who shot it because the DP credit on it is a person named, I think, Richard Hastings or something to that effect. And that person has no other credits. They don't exist anywhere. So the question is, who shot the Felicity pilot? And there are rumors. There, there are people that think that perhaps 
they had asked a high level DP, like a feature DP to do it. And the person didn't want credit. So they just put a pseudonym there. There's people that think that JJ shot it. Mm-hmm. There are people that think that like all sides, but it's just, it's a, it's a weird thing. So if anybody knows who shot the Felicity pilot, let us know. Cause we're curious. I did. Um, <laughs> I was my, I was like, I think I'm going to be a cinematographer. So I, I uh-huh. called my uh-huh. good friend, JJ Abrams, who yeah. likes to give his friends work. Uh, and yeah. he was like, okay, sure. Yeah. Uh, no, I want to talk about, I just looked yeah, up, I, yeah. the, the theme song to Felicity, I've never liked. I've never liked the yeah. theme song. The music Either in one? Felicity, oh yeah, just, just in general, the music in Felicity, I'm like, eh, this doesn't fit the show, you know? Do it, you mean the songs or score? Because I think the, the songs are great. The, the, sh- the songs are great. The score itself is kind of, I don't know, there's yeah. something about it that's it's very twinkly. Yeah. Yeah. But, but the theme song, especially here in season one, not my favorite. Uh, and then I looked up, I was looking at Wikipedia just now, and we were talking about Robert Durst. It turns out one of these theme songs, I don't know which one, because I, I just, is written by Andrew Jarecki, director of the book <laughs> featuring Robert Durst. So it all comes together in the end. Yeah. Congratulations. You knew it. You, yeah. yeah, it all came together. It's all perfect. Yeah. Uh, well, Emily, thank you for being on here for this. I really, really appreciate it. Um, I like to make always that I'm on two hours long. <laughs> <laughs> no, but tr- I mean, honestly, like, uh, you know, I feel like I didn't maybe do you justice in the in the introduction to this because I, I really think that there are very few people that do television as well as you do that understand it, that are able to deconstruct it and talk about it and that love it in the way that people, you know, that I do and and and. I'm just, I'm so excited when I get to talk about TV with you because most of the time when you're on the podcast, we're talking about movies, which is, you know, fine and good. And you'll be back for many movies in the future. But television feels like that's, that's something that, 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 I don't know. I just feel like I really just, uh, I really love talking and, and, and breaking down and unpacking television with you. So, well, I thank you so that. much. I had a great time revisiting this show. I don't think I'm going to go back and re rewatch all of it. <laughs> like originally, when I watched the pilot, I was like, should I just rewatch this? But it's all on ABC.com and you have to watch ads. Who wants to watch ads? I can't believe it got yanked from Hulu, which is a real bummer because it was, it was up there. And I don't, say with Alias, Alias isn't on any streaming sites either, which I'm, which I don't understand what that's all about i so maybe those shows will end up on disney plus maybe uh i I think i think that uh they'll be back on hulu it just feels like the right place for them you know yeah i agree but you know it's it's uh i'll say this about felicity in terms of whether or not you want to rewatch it i i would if you have the chance to watch like the last four or five episodes of the of the first season i do think that you would enjoy them go back and watch uh jennifer garner show up and and the finale and all that stuff it's it's good stuff i remember i was super into this show for the back half of season one i want to say todd mulcahy was when i was like okay this is doing something i really like and then i watched kind of some of the first half of season two and it was pretty clear they didn't know what they were where they were going in a way that I just like, I was in college with myself at the time, like my good friend, Buffy Summers, fellow class of 99 member. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, I, I just, get it. Yeah. I just could not keep up with it. And I, it fell away. And then I watched, I, I found out about the time travel arc. So I think I watched that. Cause I was like, what is happening on this show? I mean, season three ends with a shooting. Oh God. Oh season God. Three ends- Season three ends with a drug dealer boyfriend of a friend of Ben's busting into a party and just opening fire in the party and no one knows who got shot. Mm-hmm. Spoiler, no one you cared about. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it. listen, 
it's it's a wild ride, Felicity. I enjoy it and all of its its bumps in the road. It's just it's it's my soapy WB show that just speaks to me. So I, I very much appreciate talking with you about it, Thank and uh, and I look forward to talking about uh, a movie or television or whatever it is down the road that we talk about next. I'm looking forward to hearing more about Felicity from other people who maybe uh, adore it as much as you do, or people who've just never seen it and are like, "What are you doing?" I've got a pretty a uh, pretty solid stable of really great people, some first time guests, some people cool. that uh, that have been on before, and and uh, I'm excited to to talk about Felicity with them. So I appreciate uh-huh. you coming on, Emily. I really do. I love being here. Thank you so much. Should I <laughs> plug right, myself? Yeah, absolutely. Please plug away. Okay, I have. I'm just going to do that because I've gotten so good at this because now I'm on podcasts all the time. Yeah, uh, I uh, I have a Twitter account which you can follow all my adventures on Twitter.com/slash/tvoti. My writing appears at Vox.com. My latest feature is called "What Day Is It Today?" because nobody can remember because we're all inside and I update it every day to say what day it is today. It's great. Um, I uh, also uh, am the hosts of the Vox Media podcasts, I Think You're Interesting, and Primetime, both of which are available. You can listen to the archives. We may launch, relaunch them if the world ever reopens. Uh, I am the co-creator. It will reopen. Oh, God, I hope so. Uh, I'm the co-creator of the scripted podcast Arden, which is a fake true crime show about a detective and a reporter who go searching for a missing starlet. Season one is all available now. Season two is coming very soon. We are putting finishing touches on the first half of it. We're just going to release it, even though we don't know when we're recording the rest of it. Uh and I also am the co-author of the book Monsters of the Week, the complete critical companion to the X-Files. And I gotta come on this show and talk X-Files sometime. Even though 99 is not a great year for X-Files, but I would we're definitely gonna do a couple X-Files episodes. It's I think it's season six, five or six, I believe. It's six bleeding into seven, and it's the back half of six, which I don't think is strong, and then the front half of seven is not great. Although you have the Millennium crossover episode where Mulder and Scully kiss. So like that's you know, that's you if you want it, it's yours. <laughs> Woo! Uh, well, thank you again for coming on, and uh, and we're going to talk very soon. I promise. Right. Sounds great. Thank you. Night. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.